Hello, I'm George Mason, host of Good God, conversations that matter about faith and public life. What does justice have to do with the common good? My guest today is Ron Kirk, former mayor of Dallas, and he'll be talking about just that connection. Welcome to Good God, conversations that matter about faith and public life. I'm joined today by the Honorable Ron Kirk. Ron, welcome. Uh, you, you know, why did you smile when you said honorable? You, honorable. Had time, you had a hard time getting out <laughs> there. Well, because I played golf with you, <laughs> as a matter of fact. I'll tell you what, the name of God is not invoked any more than, than on the golf course. Well, that's, that's as, true. As we like to say, walking with Jesus. <laughs> well, in any case, uh, for those who might be in other places beside Dallas or uh, uh, maybe even outside the U.S. who wouldn't know who you are. Let me just say that uh, uh, we should introduce you as the, the former mayor of Dallas and a U.S. trade representative under Barack Obama and uh, former Texas Secretary of State, a, a lawyer. And, and Ron, you have um, really made a career, I would say, of, of people who would say about you in all areas of your public life that you are... Um, a, a person who brings people together. This, uh, this program is called Good God, and, and the good has to do somewhat with the common good. Uh, and so I, I'm wondering if, if you were to look at the strains of your career and, and how you think about public service, uh, that, that whole idea of bringing people together, uh, has that been an organizing principle for you? You know, George, it has, and, and so much, the, the interesting thing when I, get to be with friends like you and, and I appreciate the introduction yeah. is it, it's, it's going to seem maybe entirely not believable, but, but most of what motivated my professional life uh, was a desire just to make sure that, that every kid, at least in our country, mm -hmm. had the opportunity to do what they wanted to do as opposed to the lives that my parents led yes. growing up in the segregated South and Jim Crow and, and that I experienced a little bit as a kid born right. in the, mm -hmm. the 50s and attended segregating schools. And so right. my real passion was the law and you sort of snuck that in. Yes. Uh, but all just around this notion that, um, and I'll try to shorten it because I know we're gonna talk about a lot of things, mm -hmm. but as uh, I heard somebody talk about Jackie Robinson's impact on baseball. Yes. And since we're in baseball season, you know, which tends to be dominated by statistics. And this crusty old white guy that had played ball with Jackie Robinson mm -hmm. sat there and said, baseball became a better game when everybody got to play. Nice. And more than anything, mm -hmm. I think you can apply that to America, any institution, mm -hmm. just give everybody a chance to play. Let them determine how far they can go based on their talents and their ambitions. But sadly, that, that reality wasn't so when I grew up. Right. Um, and you mentioned I worked under Ann Richards and I, we, we spoke at a ceremony that one of my law partners was honored uh, for justice. And Ann used a very interesting introduction. And she talked about how all of us, at least in the, in the Christian faith, grew up singing this song that Jesus loves all the little children. Right all the children of the world, no matter what color. But her point was, sadly, that wasn't always true right. in application in that part of our mission, right. whether it's as a lawyer, 
as a public servant, or whatever we do, is just, just make sure all these little children have an equal shot. Right. Give them the same love, the same opportunities uh, that, 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 that our God or whatever God we worship says each of us ought to have. So that, so that, that was my principal motivation for being a lawyer, mm -hmm. just the whole battle for equal rights. Uh, but embedded in that was an understanding that my parents um, had worked way too hard to do something as simple as have the right to vote and not pay a poll tax. And so within that, the notion of not being involved in the civic life of our communities was just wasn't in my DNA. And, and I would say for most kids my age, and I'm 64, and so I tried to carry that at least belief with me in everything I've done, that whatever we do, is, is it being done in a way that everybody gets to participate if they choose to? You know, it's interesting you draw upon your own family experience and how much that was a motivator for you. I was remembering back when I was um, a young pastor and, uh, and, and arguing with uh, in my denomination and in, in our local church for the right for women to be ordained as deacons and pastors. And someone stopped me and said, okay, what is this with you? What, what's motivating you? And I had to really think about it and realized, you know, my mother, uh, my mother probably was born out of season, Ron. You know, she, she's, she's probably a better pastor than I am and would have made a great pastor mm -hmm. if she was born in a different time, you know. And, and it occurred to me that, uh, unbeknownst to me maybe, uh, it, this was not just about a principle so much as it was a personal motivation. That, that then the principle becomes important, but you're really motivated by the story, right? Yeah. By, the, by the nature of that, uh, that what's going on in your own family history. Well, I think any, for those of us that are of a generation um, that have seen people the, the denied mm -hmm. the right to live where they wanted, love who they wanted, right. study where they wanted, be what they wanted, just for some arbitrary decision. The yes. girls can't come here. Right. Black people can't, Hispanic, but you see that um, and, and you realize how corrosive that effect can be on somebody's life of having their dream denied and having to not be what, 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 what God intended for them to be mm -hmm. is not only hurtful to them, but it's hurtful to society. I was at a dinner Friday night with the management committee of our law firm, and it's a great law firm. I think, well, I guess I can say Gibson, Dunn, and Crutcher. And we started in LA, and our managing partner had some real nice words about me and was bragging on all that I did. Uh, in Dallas, and I love Neatland and reminding my friends in California who, who sort of imbue themselves with this fiction that California is so much more progressive than Texas, but I remind them that both of their African-American mayors, first African-American mayors, Tom Bradley and Willie Brown were born in Texas. How about that? And, around, and I always right. Right. define myself as the fifth first black mayor of Dallas <laughs> because Tom Bradley, who was the first right. black mayor of LA, almost mm -hmm. became governor, Willie Brown in San Francisco, Maynard Jackson, Maynard Jackson in Atlanta, was born in right. Dallas. Absolutely. I don't know if you know his New grandfather, Baptist Church. New, and uh, yeah. Emmanuel Cleaver, but one, it both shows, uh -huh. one, people that really, really are determined to do what they're going to do are going to, what's that thing, you, you're going to plant where you can flower. Right. You're going to go, and when you deny people that, they're right. going to take their talents elsewhere, and that's right. part of what I find fascinating Mm -hmm. about this debate about immigration for a country that knew what we benefited from, mm -hmm. particularly all the discrimination around the world, whether it was 
you know, the Irish or the Italians or the Jews and all those people who came to this country mm -hmm. after the turn of last century and flowered here and made us a better nation. We should know better. But, but to your main point, you know, our mothers were the same. It was later in life. Right. Um, and my mom was a school teacher because that's what girls could do then. Exactly. Yeah. And, but, but my mother always had a passion for law, but there were no schools that would admit women or people of color in Texas when they grew mm -hmm. up. Um, and of all the things she was proud of, and she was one of those lifelong teachers, and there's a library name for her in East Austin, she was as proud of her service as a, a grand juror as anything else in Travis County because she had seen so many young black and brown kids wrongly convicted, mm -hmm. some put to death for crimes they didn't commit, right. and just was determined mm -hmm. that if she could play any little role in creating a more just society, uh, that she would. And I'm not so sure a lot of that, just as your mother shaped you, <laughs> sort right. of flowed into, yeah. into my being. But so I, let's talk about justice a little bit. I think uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, a word that we use in uh, legal settings, of course, uh, but it's also a biblical word. And it has you know, deep roots in our biblical story and tradition uh, about uh, uh, how the children of Israel were treated unjustly you know, in, in Egypt. And, and, and then coming out of Egypt, they were given the law which was intended to create a just society. Right. How do we organize society in such a way that it's just? And this has been rooted in our, our biblical story and all of that. Now remember, uh, you're talking to Ron Kirk, not Gordon Keith. This is <laughs> oh, you, you, in your preacher's yeah, yeah, well, no, you, <laughs> no, I, I, I know where you go to church. That's right. And, and Michael would, would, would get on me if I didn't push you about, about your, your faith experience, too. We'll get to that in a little while. But, but, but tell me what your vision of justice is. When well, it, people talk about justice, what does it mean to you? It, it, you know, it, it's, well, I will tell you, it's interesting you said that because I was privileged to preside over Governor Richard's funeral. Yes. And it was decidedly a more secular service. Mm -hmm. And they, would get, they gave me just a few minutes to have my own personal comments about her. And I called on one of my good friends, Dale Williams, as I call my favorite Sunday school teacher. And, and, and he helped me remember a passage from the book of Micah that at the end of the day, all God asks of us is basically three things, right? Right. Do justice, Do justice. have mercy, and walk humbly with your there God. And so within that, um, we can, you know, it's one of those things we can make it more difficult, but I think justice is a word that inherently means be fair. Yes. Treat everybody mm -hmm. the same. Now, there are right. people, you know, as a lawyer, man, can we try to spin that into something else? Yeah. But no. And as a kid, it's funny. Again, when I started thinking about the law, sadly, there was only one black lawyer, African-American lawyer at Dalston at the time. I didn't know what he did. Right. So everything I knew about the law was based on this bad, in my mind, bodacious guy, Thurgood Marshall, who was coming right. into the South, right. at extraordinary um, um, danger to himself, yes. you know, to file lawsuits in mm -hmm. Dallas mm -hmm. and in Austin against my beloved University of Texas. Mm -hmm. People only associate Thurgood Marshall with Brown versus Board of Education. Right. But Thurgood Marshall um, filed a lawsuit against University of Texas, Sweat versus Painter, mm -hmm. that basically said, you know, shoving black kids over in the basement at the Capitol ain't exactly the same right. as giving them the breadth of that experience. But for me, that justice is, is about, it just starts and stops with 
the reality. Do you have at least the same opportunity right. than I do? Doesn't mean we're gonna all get the same result. Yes. And, um, and as I was a kid, so I, I, there were so many right. rhymes and riddles they would teach us about how unfair. And I thought, well, it's not gonna be that. Because one of the things we used to always say is, white folks get justice, black folk get the law. Ah, uh, there it is, right? And there you know, so I thought, well, and, and at who least, writes the laws? Yeah, yeah at least yeah. we're gonna we're gonna flip that. And there was there was this. My, my bride always gets mad when I use this, but as a kid, we learned this riddle. You know, what's the difference between the Supreme Court and the Ku Klux Klan? Mm-hmm. And back then, the answer was the Supreme Court wore black robes and scared the hell out of white people. Yeah. And the idea yeah. was at least right. there was one place. Right that no matter your station, your privilege, your ethnicity, that you could get justice. And you go to any courthouse, go to these rural communities. Every courthouse is gonna have a bunch of Latin inscriptions above the door or somewhere on the building. But in all of them is some notion of this word justice. But at its core, as you said, it goes back to the Bible and what we're all instructed is be kind to one another, be fair. Cornell West, you know, the, uh, the, the academic and, and writer about civil rights and, and the like said that justice is what love looks like in public. Yeah. And, and I think if you, if you go to that core notion of uh, the, the, the duty of every religious person is to love your neighbor as yourself, yeah. right? Love God, but love your neighbor as yourself. And, and so the, the public expression of a religious life is this notion of justice, isn't yeah. it? Uh, and so uh, whether you're doing it in a, in a courtroom or in uh, a, 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 a state house or at the mayor's office or, uh, you know, in Washington, somehow or other, this whole notion of how do we create a fairer society yeah. is What is an interesting important. thing that I challenge young people today when I talk because of the, 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 the um, intersection, almost the embedding in our lives now of social media. Yes. Uh, what happens in a Starbucks in Milwaukee is viral around the world mm-hmm. at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I use that because I tell young people, we always recognize justice and discrimination in the rearview mirror. In the rearview mirror. We don't mirror. want to talk about it. Right. But I mean, we just spent um, the last couple of weeks reviewing the life of Dr. Martin Luther King, which ironic, now, oh, it, it, it still strikes me as ironic that you, again, going back to Ann Richards, I was sworn in as Texas Secretary of State on April 4th of 1944. April 4th is Which is, is the, the day, day that Dr. Martin Luther King was yes. assassinated. Right. He was 39 years old, I was 39 years wow. old. So it's humbling to think this guy had done yeah. all this. But when I get so tired sometimes of talking about you know, what it was like and not, and I challenge kids to say, don't so much talk about Dr. King, but when you go home, ask your parents, what were y'all doing? Yeah, there you go. Because I tell you, when you look at those films from Selma, from Birmingham, Mm -hmm. and you see people riding in the pickup trucks with the guns and the sheets, that was real. Nobody ever puts on a family film and says, okay, watch this part. Right. Where the guy swings the, that's Uncle Bub, that's your granddad. Well, let's and, pick, let's and, pick this and, up in just a few moments. We're going right. to do a promo for a, a, a nonprofit that uh, is dear to your heart. And so uh, when we come back, we're going to pick it up right there. All right. All right.
The Stewpot offers a safe haven for homeless and at-risk individuals of Dallas and provides resources for basic survival needs as well as opportunities to start a new life. For more information, visit their website. Good God salutes the Stewpot. Ron, you were just talking about this whole idea of what were our parents doing and our grandparents doing yeah. back in those days? And that really brings up a, a point about who we are today, right? We, we have similar challenges, and, and it's one thing to have a historical perspective and celebrate it, but it's also how does history challenge us in the moment for what we will do? Well, and that's one of the points I was making. I was taking too long to challenge young kids now. I mean, and it's, you know, there was an old Supreme Court case about for pornography and they said, you know, it's hard to define, but we, we know it when we see it. Exactly. We know injustice when we yes. see it. And my point to these young kids now, mm -hmm. you don't have the luxury of 20, 30 years rearview mirror to say, boy, we were wrong. You know it's wrong when your classmates are bullying some kid exactly. because maybe he's different. He doesn't speak the same language or he or she is struggling to define their sexuality. Mm -hmm. And the, 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 the biggest Petri dish for injustice and hatred is us wanting to fit in and more importantly sometimes just not wanting to be seen as standing outside the norm. And so I tell them it's hard. It, it's always heroic looking back to say, wow, what a hero Martin Luther King was or what a great man um, Muhammad Ali was to take his stand. But now you look at it and say, why can't Colin Kaepernick just shut up? Yeah, right. You know, why can't women? I mean, I'm so frustrated. And I've talked to my daughters about this to hear men and colleagues of mine going, well, I don't know what to do at the office now with this Me Too thing. Really? Really? Do, how do about you treat need, people with respect? Yeah, how about, keep your pants on at work. Do you really simple. need Do you need somebody to tell that's, you that's keep exactly your pants right. on, keep your hand to yourself? But we know it, but speak up. It, and right. I know it, it can feel a little awkward and sometimes you do it, but you'll, you'll never regret having stood up for somebody who was struggling to maybe speak for themselves mm -hmm. or just stepped into somebody and said, come on, right. give them a break. Right. And so much of what we see and life is so complex and we're covering a lot of stuff. The common denominator in all these tragic shootings in most of these schools mm -hmm. is a kid who's bullied, exactly. a kid who's alone, a kid right. that, now some of them clearly had some, some serious mental ish, health issues, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but a lot of them were people crying out for somebody to say, I hear you, yeah. I see you, you're struggling. Yeah, so I think, I think it's interesting that you, you, we were talking about Dr. King and others who fall into the category of our historical tendency to, uh, to conceive of history as the story of great men. Yeah. And it was usually men, uh, you know, as a matter of fact, but we, we tell these stories about who are these key leaders in the history of the world? One of the things I think has shifted in our society, for the better, really, is that uh, we, we have a more uh, democratic understanding uh, of influences of how society moves now. Mm -hmm. And instead of looking for who's the leader of the Black Lives Movement matter, for example, well, the answer to that is you are, and you are, and you are and they're all over the place, and there's, it's decentralized in a sense. So we now have an opportunity to start to, con to, to realize that people like your mother really did make a difference. Oh, she made a huge difference. Even though her story isn't told, 
uh, every April 4th, you know, or during the, the month of February, Black, uh, Black History Month or something of that nature. But we're learning that that's really a crucially important thing. If the world's going to move forward toward a more just society, every one of us has a role. Well, I love the fact, just, and I'm not, they don't need my plug, but the New York yeah. Times has been going back and yeah. saying, you know what, for too long, story has only been told through the lens of men. But here are all these incredible women. Yes. You know, and thank mm -hmm. God, you know, you had a film like Hidden Figures to say, you know, right. girls do science. Absolutely. Girls have done some good science. Yeah, absolutely. And girls practice law and try lawsuits and, yes. and do other things. But that's an important lesson. And one of your points about it's all of us, and I know we're going to talk faith later, but I, I did grow up in a family church. And right. speaking of my mother, she was one of 14, the only one to go to college. And thank God she was able to go to Houston Tillotson College, right. one of our historically black colleges, had no money. Her parents died when she and her twin were, you know, five or six years old. Mm -hmm. And one of my uncles got the calling in the old sense of the word. No oh, yeah. biblical training, right. anything. Yeah. But when you got 10 brothers and sisters who all live within five square miles, you got an instant church. That's right. So we grew up in yeah. this scary family church, 400 folks who all looked the same. And, <laughs> and I joke, we sang the same songs. Uh -huh. My aunt played the piano till right. she died. Then my cousin played the okay. piano. Then my sister played the piano till she moved away. <laughs> then, And we would... I had to tell people, all these wonderful little churches throughout the South, all you walked in had some big wooden block scriptures on the walls right. of some, but I'm certain all of them had some version of John 316. Sure, sure. And every Sunday we'd go to Sunday school and we'd march in, we'd stand and we'd recite a psalm and then we'd recite John 316. So you can imagine by the time we're 14 or 15, we're like, Ah, oh, here we go again, you know. We'd right. roll our eyes when my uncle would talk about, thank you for clothing me in my right mind and envision your clothes. And I don't remember, but I, I will never forget, I was probably 15 or 16 and we were getting ready to do John 3:16, And one of my cousins or uncles leaned over and said, Ronald, you know what this means. I said, yeah, God so loved the world. He said, God so loved the world, he didn't send the committee. Nice, nice. And nice. I have yeah. used that yeah. because back to your point, I tell people, he didn't. God uses people. We are, and we talk right. about that, but we ultimately are the instruments of his desires and his will. And it's ordinary people. Right. None of them were Nobel laureates, world famous at the time. And sometimes it's just somebody that somehow summons the courage to say, enough. Now, on the other hand, that we all need heroes, right? And so uh, Dr. King was a hero, and we, we don't have to have uh, celebrity heroes, but in many ways, you being the first black mayor of Dallas, uh, created an opportunity for uh, young uh, black men and women uh, to, to think that their aspirations would, would, were not thwarted, that, they, that actually they could dream about that. Barack Obama's election was one of those moments too. Uh, and, and then, you, I know you were a movie buff, you, you and Matrice, so, all right, I saw Black Panther last night, you know, and, and, and here's, here's another story, though, right? I mean, here, here's another, for the first time, what we really have here are, uh, are heroes that are coming out of a, a, a black community, a black nation, stre intelligence, strength, technology, uh, all these sorts of things that, that are, are helpful to a community that has been 
in some ways disenfranchised, in some ways, in many ways, in our country. So at the same time that it's, it's good to see the democratization of this, we need those heroes, don't we? You, you, you do, and that's a word I'm careful with that's easier uh -huh. applied to somebody else than mm -hmm. when I... I look at somebody and, well, my bride only likes it now because I'm old enough that kids come up and go, oh, Mayor Kirk, you did not go. Well, were you at going to go, oh, no, I was in the second grade. I was, <laughs> in, I was in kindergarten. I'm going, get out of here, kid. <laughs> right. But I, I was cognizant of that. I mean, sure. I could. the closer we got to my election as mayor, I mean, the, the, the less I could escape the reality of how big a deal this was to the African-American community. I wasn't blind to that. But what I said to people, particularly when I campaigned in South Dallas and I was in churches, mm -hmm. don't, don't ask me just to be a black mayor. Right. And don't burden me with history. Do challenge me to make a difference. Right. And what I said to them is, if I can make a difference in our city and mm -hmm. how we equitably, justly do what we do so mm -hmm. that we spend as much money on roads and bridges and sewers mm -hmm. in impoverished neighborhoods in right. South Dallas as we do North. And if I can help create a city where we think more about our common dreams, right. where we're thinking about, you know, clean streets and safe parks is not a black, white agenda. That's a, if I can do that, if I make a difference, mm -hmm. then it'll be hugely important Absolutely. That, that I was the first African-American mayor, because I was also humble enough and I tell them, if I don't, I know, y'all all will be the ones who go, well, hell, it didn't make any difference that he was down there. Well, let's and, be honest, we had the same problem uh, in, in the wake of, of Barack Obama's yeah, uh, presidency. Absolutely. We, we had this sense that uh, many white people voted for Barack Obama, and it gave them moral license then to be able to say, well, you know, I voted for Barack Obama, and yeah. now I can be critical because I have my bona fides. Yeah. You know? Now, now I, I can say that didn't work out, and we didn't bring the country together, and the country's more divided than ever, and what happened as a result of that. So therefore, we, you know, the, the, the key is not electing uh, people of color or, or women. The key is getting the right person, and we have this sort of pushback about that. Yeah. And it, I, 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 I had that debate with one of my truly closest friends, and he's yeah. a strong Republican. Yeah. And he was, and, and I shouldn't have, but I, um, because I've been at the business of politics and you've been in faith. Yeah. I don't challenge your decision who you vote, but I was like, yeah. look, you support Mitt Romney, fine. Yeah. Mitt Romney would have been fine president. George yeah. Bush, something, yeah. but at some point, right. and I did, I was like, how can you vote for Donald Trump? This guy's so toxic. And he mm -hmm. made the mistake of saying, well, I feel like our country's more divided after Barack Obama. And I said, yeah. do you really think <laughs> that Black people got together after Obama won and said, let's go piss white people off. That's a, that's, as a general rule, right. when race relations go bad in America, it ain't because yeah. we, because that, that typically has right. not worked out too well for us. Right. And, and I reminded him, and, and I will never forget, all of us will remember where we were September 11th. Right. All of us are going to remember where we were November of 20, 2008. That night that Barack Obama was elected, America laid down all of our mm -hmm. ideological shields. We mm -hmm. took off for a night and we celebrated what we all knew was right. a, a wonderful American moment that we, at least in that march toward justice, as right. Dr. King so beautifully said, you know, the, mark of, the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice. We felt like we bent it a little That's more. That's right. 
And it was an expression. Mm -hmm. And we allowed ourselves to celebrate what was a uniquely American moment. Because this wouldn't happen in almost any other country in the world. Mm -hmm. And I never will forget the next day when everybody was talking about what does it mean? And there was a discussion, right. you know, are we post-racial now? Is it over? And one fairly astute commentator said, last night we got to celebrate what was best about America. He said, but I'm also afraid that we're gonna experience the worst of America. Mm -hmm. And what we are now seeing to some degree is a lot of those people who didn't celebrate that. And for whatever reason, were afraid that they'd lost their country. They didn't go away. Right. And they just went back and they retrenched. And I mean, this is a show called Good God, and there's not a lot of stories I take from the Bible, but the, you know, God always constantly reminds us, why is it that the children of darkness are so much yes. more organized? As Kurt Vonnegut mm -hmm. said, why is the mafia always better organized than right. the good guys? Right. And they don't go away. It is a constant battle and a constant struggle. Uh, and whether it's Moses or Dr. King, you lead people out of the wilderness and then they call a meeting to say, George, why the heck you bring us out here? We were fine. We had jobs exactly. where we were. And now yeah, we got why don't home. we go back? Why don't we go back? Let's go back. But you know what? You yeah. just, when you, the show, since we are talking faith, you've got to know this is a, an age old story and an age old struggle. But if you do have that higher belief mm -hmm. in justice and the value of every person, you just never give up on those two principles. Well, Ron, we have so much more to talk about and, and, and we have another episode to do it in. So in just a moment, we'll pick this up again. But uh, I'm reminded uh, in, in light of this conversation that there's a bridge across the <laughs> Trinity River that is now called the Ron Kirk Pedestrian Bridge. And it crosses uh, from one part of Dallas to another and it's symbolic of just who you are. And I want to remind you that the word pontiff uh, we talk about the Roman Pope being the pontiff. It actually comes from the Latin and means bridge builder. It means a person who bridges. And I see that uh, in you, and I think a lot of people do. And that's why that bridge is named for you, and it's why we're grateful for you. That, that, that's pretty heavy. But I'm, so you, I can go home and Pope tell Matrice and, and, right. and Catherine. I can't get them to call me Mr. Mayor or Mr. Ambassador, so maybe I'll just get them to call me P-Daddy. That's so. something like that. We'll get your pointed hat. Okay, all right. Thank you, Ron. Thank you, bud. Okay. Good God is created by Dr. George Mason, produced and directed by Jim White. Our guest coordinator and communications director is Jay Pritchard. Here's grateful appreciation to Evolve Technology for location production facilities. Evolve Technology for home audio, video, and lighting design. Enjoy more, think less with Evolve. See their great work at EvolveDallas.com. Thanks to Wendy Crispin Caterer for guest parking accommodations. Good God, Conversations with George Mason is the podcast devoted to bringing you ideas about God and faith and the common good. All material copyright 2018 by Faith Commons. The Stewpot offers a safe haven for homeless and at-risk individuals of Dallas and provides resources for basic survival needs as well as opportunities to start a new life. For more information, visit their website. Good God salutes the Stewpot.